I said, the sport that I love playing, that I played for 20 years, I'm not going to let that decide how I'm going to feel about myself. And welcome to episode 19 of the Outfield Podcast. It is time for what I'd like to call the Play Freebird edition of the Outfield Podcast. Let's yell about hockey culture. Welcome Gordy Bichard to the show. Hockey former hockey player and referee. Welcome Gordy. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate I have it. to ask a first and important question for some people who do not know your story. Uh, what side of the 49th parallel were you born on? What side of the 49th parallel? That means are you from Canada or not? No, definitely okay, so not. Your nickname Gordy just to fit in because you know Canada. Definitely not. Definitely not from Canada. I wish I was. Why would um, you wish you were from? Ca- ah, I'm kidding. It, it fits the mold. No, well, my parents mold, actually. Gordy. So yes, that definitely does. Yeah, my parents actually, after Gordy Howe, who played for the Detroit Red Wings, and oddly enough, I'm not a Red Wing fan. And so, no, you're not. <laughs> nope. Sound like All Blackhawks from... for me. I, I know. You sound like you're from Chicago, so <laughs> I could tell. Uh, this is the Play Freebird edition of this podcast. You, you come to this show and you get a Play Freebird joke because it is time to do something we love doing on this show, or I like doing. It's time to yell about why hockey culture sucks. It's great fun. There you go. I'm really excited to do that. Gordy has a great story, by the way. And you're going to come to this episode of the show for the talk about hockey culture, and you're going to stay for when we're an hour and 15 in, and this show's gone off the rails when I'm making jokes about Iowa punters. <laughs> it is inevitable. It's, it's written in the stars. It's going to have to happen. It's better than the Chicago Bears kicking staff. It, yeah, I mean, you got to get Kirk Ferentz into bringing those kicking fundamentals, punting fundamentals. Really <laughs> important to win games in the Big Ten with punting fundamentals. We'll get to that later. Uh, for people who do not know your story, Gordy, we have to talk about it a little bit. Just an overview of who you are, your hockey story. So please tell everyone a little bit about that before we get into it more. Sure. Um, I grew up, obviously, in the suburbs of Chicago. And I grew up playing AAA hockey for the most part uh, in youth. And then kind of got burnt out as I was figuring out kind of who I was and and my sexuality as I was starting to question that. And I gave it up for a season and decided that who I was, who my sexuality preferences were, um, I wanted to keep that hidden for just a little bit longer. I wasn't ready for, for the coming out stage. So I went back to, to playing hockey is kind of a crutch, is a shield to to hopefully deter people from thinking that I was gay. And it, it didn't take away the love of, of the game for me at that point, but I went on and I played club hockey at Iowa. And I played my freshman year and then into my sophomore year playing at Iowa. I decided that officiating hockey was something that I wanted to pursue. So I gave up playing because playing school and refing altogether was too much so I gave up playing and then I started refereeing full-time and traveling country to do that and I did that for uh, I did that for six seven years and uh, eventually had to give it up for health reasons but it's kind of in a nutshell so very involved in hockey at all levels yeah mm-hmm. it, it, absolutely was it, was it that was the sport for you growing up that was pretty much the sport for me. I I pursued golf 
heavily in high school as well. And my senior year of, of high school, my golf game kind of left me. I actually was originally going to go play at the University of Northern Iowa uh, to play golf. Ali Farouk, and... National University. <laughs> Come for the, and, talk about hockey culture. Stay for the jokes that some of you have completely forgotten about. <laughs> I, will that just... forget, I will never forget that. So. <laughs> so that didn't pan out, so I'm a Hawkeye. Well, through and through. Know. You 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 went up from Ali Farouk to Mason University to um, uh, I'm not going to name all of the Iowa players that I'm thinking of right now. So there you are. <laughs> Again, I'm going to try to save the Iowa jokes for later. I have to reserve, yeah, the, the good stuff for the. This is not the good stuff, but I have to reserve the jokes about Iowa that I could go on for an hour, an entire podcast about Iowa jokes. But hey, I'm all for that. it. I can't do that it. until later. You, <laughs> people are not here to hear Big Ten things that really shouldn't be Big Ten things. But anyway. We need to talk first about just not only just playing hockey, but going through that that phase of trying to figure out your sexuality while also being in a sport where you hear gay slurs almost as much as you hear the word puck. Mm -hmm. I I never played. I came into hockey much later as a fan and somebody who watched the sport and got into it. So I never really played. I could barely skate. But for Mm -hmm. you... It's hard to go through, you know, learning about your sexuality at all, really, when you're in sports because of what that constitutes, you know, yeah. in our society. And then in hockey, it's the toughest because hockey is the sport that is most openly homophobic of all of them. And you and you wrote your outsports story. You documented that quite uh, starkly. So, so it did, you said it didn't take away the love of the game, but it had to change the way you perceived hockey, right? Because you wanted to go in and, and have it be your quote-unquote shield, but it's hard when you're forced to think about your sexuality almost every time because that's just the language you hear. Yeah, it, it, you're exactly right that it was this continuous reminder of of something that I needed to take care of in my personal life. As, as a kid, as I really didn't know what was happening, I think it was easier to to play the sport, to love the sport, to ignore a lot of what you heard because at that point I just wasn't, I wasn't sure. I didn't know. So I didn't take it to heart. I didn't take it personally. Um, but as I progressed and got more confident and comfortable in who I was and who I am, that's when, that's when the love of the sport, the image that I had of hockey started to change. It started to, it started to become this space that, that, kept throwing it in my face that potentially being gay was problematic, was something that wasn't normal, that was something that was negatively viewed by a lot of people in the hockey community, unfortunately. And it became, I still love the sport. I absolutely love the sport. And to this day, I love the sport. I don't like the cultural bias toward the straight normality of things it, it drives me crazy and and they have and you hear all the time and you read all the time about the nhl acceptance of the lgbtq plus community and but what does that really mean what is what does it mean to stand by us does it mean to be accepting it's one thing to be in words and it's one thing to be in a pride night in recognition and visibility, but what does that actually mean? What are they going to do to transition this culture into something that is actually 
changed? And I'm going to give you an answer to that. Actually, no, I shouldn't spoil that. Although, actually, you listen to this podcast enough, some of you, you know what the answer to that question is, sadly. Uh, so how do you reconcile, you know, loving hockey but going into this space where you didn't feel comfortable being yourself? Because you, it's, it's, it's a way of life. You, you were gay before you started playing hockey. That's just the way it is. And mm-hmm. hockey is, you know, has not been able to, I think, to figure that out, that people are going to come in from these different backgrounds. And it hasn't really been able to reconcile that yet because of the cultural nature of the sport. So how were mm-hmm. you able to reconcile that and keep playing? Because, I mean, you got burnt out and then you came back. We'll get to that in a second. But how were you able to keep playing once you start to know, okay, this, this is an issue? How were you able to keep playing and compartmentalize that and then eventually come back to it? Mm-hmm. I had to, it's hard. I always say it's hard for other people to love you and respect you if you don't love and respect yourself. And I think I, through high school and into college, I was able to truly start accepting who I was and loving who I was. And I told myself at one point, I said, the sport that I love playing that I've played for 20 years I'm not going to let that decide how I'm going to feel about myself and it was hard to make that transition because as we stated earlier of the concert reminders of then hearing gay slurs and all that kind of stuff but I I just made the decision within myself that I was going to be who I was and I wasn't going to I wasn't going to, in my mind, let hockey be this negative monster that that truly, truly is what it is, <laughs> unfortunately. Well, let's, let's, but, let's call a spade a spade. This sport kind of sucks when it comes to this. And yeah. It actually, in many ways, is actually worse than you think it is because it's insidious. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and it's in, toxic on the level of LGBTQ as well as, and I refereed junior hockey for a long time, and even the the coach to player relationship and the player to player relationship within the hockey culture, it's in the hazing that goes on. You read about Carcillo from a former player for the Blackhawks. You read about these just awful, awful stories, and doesn't just stop and start at the LGBTQ. That's what I'm a part of and that's what I'm passionate about. But it really has a toxic level in many different aspects of of what the sport is and what it includes. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Racist, sexist. What, what else do you want? Classist? Yeah. I guess we could go with classist too. Mm-hmm. It's... And, and I and I think that's just the sports culture that it developed for itself. And there there are a lot of reasons why that happened. And the thing that I think is is so fascinating is the sports culture is so easily, sadly, translatable. Like you played outside Chicago, and you know because you've heard other stories. Like you could hear a story from almost anywhere else that plays hockey, and the culture is identical. Like there is no difference. And I, I've always found that most amazing because when you talk about other people, their stories are individual enough and they could talk about the culture of the sport, but it's nothing like hockey where you go to any place, to any league, to any set of relationships, 
and it's almost identical. There's no, there's no difference. It's the same thing. That's why I joke mm-hmm. about when hockey is such a sport where the individual is scrubbed away from you that even the stories for people coming out actually are identical, which is sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that, I think the synonymous culture from region to region, I think it just comes from the rigor dedication that, that we have since we've been young to the sport. You spend so much time with, I mean, we practice six nights a week. You spend so much time with these people and these kids that become your friends and their parents become your parents' friends and just builds this family, which hockey does a great job at, by the way. Hockey well, does a great a job at building family. there's family. all this fighting. Correct. And, and what, I, what I realized is that you become so close with these people and friends with these people that it's almost blinding to the reality of, of what really stands behind the culture of sport. I, I think that when I... When I hear some of the stories that you hear, you wonder, how did some of these people get through this unscathed? I mm-hmm. mean, in your case, what got you through this mostly unscathed? Um, unscathed, that's, well, that's, as a, unscathed that's a word. As, as unscathed um, as possible in this way. Like, you know, when I think about, maybe that's not the right word, uh, as clean as possible. Does that, is that a better term, make here? Sure. And I think... For me, for being a hockey player, and I had stated when I spoke without sports that I don't think it's up to, I don't think it's up to a professional hockey player to to come out. I don't think that is the door that should open to to give all these youth hockey players this this example. Okay, so when I was growing up playing, I had to resource others. I had to go into other sports. I had to go into different categories of, of life, whether it was someone in theater, I like singing. So I looked at some singers, some artists, and I think that that is what got me through a lot of what I had dealt with as a young hockey player in coming to the realization that I was gay. Because um, not coming out till I was 26 didn't it didn't allow me to talk to my parents. It didn't allow me to talk to my close friends because nobody knew until I was 26. So I had to, I do really look to some people, some celebrities, if you will, um, and others to kind of relate to them and get through it. So you couldn't even, I mean, there wasn't any examples for you to turn to in hockey until no. literally maybe like six months ago. So yeah, I mean, you had to go to where you could go to to find that motivation just to keep playing. But I mean, then you go into officiating, and so the love of the sport in many ways usurped all of the fears that you had and all the reasons, legitimate reasons, why you'd want to walk away. Mm -hmm. And officiating in many ways means you hear that language, I wouldn't say completely in the same way, but you still hear it. It's not like it goes away, and in many ways now you're much more attuned to what it means. So right. how did you get through those tough moments as an official? Because inevitably stuff happened where you heard that language because nobody could contain themselves. It's hockey, right? Right. You well, know, in, and, and, you're, yeah. and you're doing it in a bunch of different leagues, not just, you know, you're doing mm-hmm. it in colleges and you're doing it in the USHL and some of these other leagues. Like, it's, it can be the Wild West sometimes out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially, especially quite literally in the West. Um, um, well, I mean, yeah, but close enough. 
Yeah. Um, the I actually think I was more in tune with that. Obviously, being out to some of my friends at the time of still officiating and out to my parents and some of their close friends, I think I was more in tune to it then as an official than I was as a player. And I think one of the biggest reasons for that was that the word fag was then and still is an enforceable penalty. So when you when you hear that, and to make an example of a kid on the ice saying the word fag, it, it stays with you. And especially when I came out, it was definitely more personal. So I think I actually I was more in tune to it as an official than I was as a player. I think possibly because at this point, like you didn't know like it could legitimately be directed at you. Or even if you didn't think it was, like it, mm-hmm. it's going to be you think it was, right? Right. Like and that's and that's a, and that's another. I always find with that word particularly, it doesn't hurt me as much because I know that that word also means something else in Britain, which is just like, oh, why are you calling me a cigarette? That's stupid. <laughs> yeah. Why are you doing that? Like I, of, of all the things that you could call me, that's what you're gonna do. Okay, but I mean, yep. I under I under like the, the the language is insidious enough to where even then, it's and, and also, I didn't even think like you can actually get away with like calling penalties on that. Because, I mean, like, I'm imagining an NHL official actually calling a, a misconduct for that. And, uh, yeah, that's the day that the uh, that the earth falls into a black hole. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, well, it's, and it's not punishable at the NHL level. It's punishable at the junior hockey level. And my boss, actually, when I worked for the North American Hockey League, he was also gay. And I don't know the the drive for actually implementing this sort of rule for homophobic slurs or inappropriate language. That was actually one of my first years as a referee when that was instated. So I don't know if he was behind the drive on that, but I think it had something to do with that. And it started the conversation. And what was really cool about all the board members and all the other instructors were nobody batted an eye. Everybody was like, absolutely, it's becoming part of the game. It has been a part of the game, and it should be punishable. And it was—it didn't take—it took less than a year to get that rule implemented. How long ago was this? Uh, this had to be. When did I start? Two thousand. Had to be around two thousand thirteen-ish, two thousand twelve, maybe. Hockey being for at uh, the forefront of thinking ahead in twenty thirteen. What was this nonsense? This I wanted to think it was world. somewhere around. Yeah. <laughs> What is this? What is this video game world we're living in? Yeah, right. Doesn't make sense. But I, I got to ask now because your supervisor was gay. Is that, that's the first person, obviously, in hockey you met that was gay? How much easier did that make your life, knowing that there was uh, somebody around you in the sport that was gay, even if you didn't come out to him, just knowing that there's somebody else there? Yeah, yeah, definitely, it made a huge difference, and not just another. It wasn't just you know another person it was it was somebody of authority it was somebody that was leading everybody else there at the camps and throughout the season for the North American Hockey League so to know that to to know that he was in a position where people respect him that he was chosen for that position full well knowing he was gay spoke spoke volumes and it made me feel okay this is 
this is approaching a community that I am willing to feel comfortable being a part of. Was that the first time you actually felt like that in hockey? Other than truly. just creating your own self-motivation to stay in it? Yeah, truly. I, I can't imagine. Because it's just like it's, it's, it's a place you don't expect to see it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I did not expect to see it. And then a couple of years later, or a year later, um, I met, and his name is is escaping me now, but he worked in the American Hockey League for a long time, as well as the Ontario Hockey League. And he wears a pride logo on the back of his helmet. And for him to be bold enough to do that and to have the courage to do that, and once I saw that, I was I was even closer to being more comfortable and ready to ready to be completely out at that point. So talk about this coming out story of yours and just timeline. So when did you do it the first time? Because I know your 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 natural like out sports story was June. So but there's a long way to go before that. Mm-hmm. You know, to coming out and it, it seems for you it came out in stages. Yeah. Yeah, it did. Um so some part in later 2017. Um So how old are you in 2017? 2017. Oh God, that was three years ago. Twenty-six. Forget how old we are because twenty twenty has literally I know. been well, seven thousand days long. Plus, plus I just I just turned twenty-nine, so I have to adjust my. Oh, you have to adjust it. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, no, boy. I was twenty. I was twenty-six. You're twenty-six. Okay. Um, and on this show, that somebody's come out literally after me because I came out when I was turned twenty-five. So. Yeah. I mean, well, publicly at least. Mm-hmm. That took I mean, a while. This is a process that can happen at any different time frame and, and any different length, but it's still, I usually come to talk to people on the show that came out earlier than I did in life, not later, but it's not, it's any less valid. I just find that interesting. Yeah. I, I, especially the guys that I talked with on, on the call with, without sports and Steven and Brock and Adam, I just, I, they have so much courage to do what they did because I obviously I didn't have that that courage at the time. And I just respect those guys so much. Mm-hmm. But so talk a little bit about who you came out to and that, that journey of doing it. Cause as I said, like it came in stages. Yeah. So, so in the latter half of 2017, um, actually probably midway through 2017, I met, um, one of my best friends today, Dalton, and he was an out referee at the time. And I kind of clinged on to him as I think any of us would, as far as I started to notice how the other guys were treating him and and asking about his his boyfriend and how he was at the time and and all of this this feeling of including Dalton so seamlessly knowing full knowing that he was gay um, was really really huge and I didn't actually tell him till till after I told a couple of close friends and family but I just remember sitting in a hotel room with a bunch of the guys and we're just shooting the shit, if you will. And they're, everyone's asking how his boyfriend was at the time and how everything's going. And that's all it took for me was just this inclusiveness of, of Dalton's story. And I actually texted him after everybody left. I was like, Hey, like tonight spoke volumes to me. Like I'm gay. And you know, will you help me? <laughs> I re- remember saying exactly. And he goes, I'm here for you. So it was, it was so a was cool thing. Was that the thing. first time you came out to anybody that um, wasn't like family? 
Yes. Or close family. Okay. So when did you come out to family? I came out to family. Oh, like literally just before, before that, maybe a week. Um, it was not before that. And it was, it was just my mom and my sister. And then it was new years around new years because I was, I told myself 2018 was going to be the year that I'm honest to myself and to others. So it was right around New Year's where I started to really broaden who I who I told. Mm-hmm. So by so by 2018, you're out to just about everybody in your life that you wanted to be out to. Mm-hmm. Is that is that right? Yes. How did that feel? Exactly. Pretty liberating. Felt great. It's actually it's a great feeling and a terrifying feeling at the same time because you just you just never know what what the reaction is going to be from, from people. And you, you say this, you make yourself so vulnerable to, to so many person's speculation that you want it to be positive, but at the same time you need to be ready for things that aren't so positive. Well, I think it's, I think it's interesting because for, for me, it always came to, it doesn't really matter who you're telling. They're going to think of you differently. Now, once you tell them this, what they thought of you (laughs) is not what, actually is going to be what they think of you after you tell them. So the perception of you irrevocably changes, even if they're going to accept you no matter what. And that, that's a scary thing to do. It is. It is. And I think that's a very good point that you make. And I think that and it also that, that feeling changing is going to be different for just about everybody. So you have mm-hmm. to also go through the mental gymnastics of knowing, all right, how am I going to react if X, Y, and Z happens? You, you become a galaxy-brained version of yourself when you're doing this because you yeah. really don't know what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. And no coming out process goes any way like you script it. And even if you try to script it, it's not going to work. No, it's never a fairy tale. Oh, well, maybe I wouldn't have used that term, but okay. <laughs> I had to, I'm sorry. So now here we are much later and you're out publicly what decided to get you to to write that out sports story was there any reason or was it just something that you felt compelled to do um actually i, th- I actually read so i read my boyfriend's coming out story he wrote a coming out story um for a different platform and i read his and when i got done reading it i was like you know what I think it's time for me to tell my story through throughout sports as I remember thinking back to when I was growing up as a hockey player, being like, oh, if I just had somebody to talk to, if I just had one outlet that I could just shoot something off and, and maybe they can give me some feedback. And so I thought, well, maybe it's time for me to to write my story to see if I can't reach just a couple people and, and see if anybody needs help that has had a similar path to me and come to find out looking at out sports that there have been a couple people that have been hockey players or referees that had told their story Adam being one before me um, and then Steven just just after in fact he reached out to me and we talked and discussed about the best way for him to come out and, and that's exactly what I wanted to do I decided it was it was my time to tell tell the story that I think is a synonymous story to a lot of others out there. Uh, 
I'm not going to say that it's 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 identical because none of these are identical, but they hit so many of the same beats. And what did that make you feel when you see some of these stories and you and you're like, wow, these people went through almost exactly the same thing I did. Yeah, instantly you think about how many other people are out there. <laughs> That's the exact the first thing I thought of when I think I had. Well, when I came out as a referee, I had four other officials contact me within a week and come out to me. And then when I wrote my story, I had several people contact me and, and ask for advice. And it just, it makes you wonder just the large amount of people that are sitting out there that just need a little bit of, need a little bit of help. I actually think that the number is a lot bigger than anybody would imagine. I agree. And even in this sport, I think it's it's hard for people to imagine. Like, because when when I started talking with people about this and getting really into learning about you know the plight of this community in hockey, I kept wondering like the number can't be that high because I'm assuming the culture is so bad that it drove most people away. Like they just couldn't do it anymore, and they played, but playing is long since past them, or being involved is long since past them, right? And a lot of the people that I thought we're going to be around. We're going to be people who played hockey and then the sports culture sucks so much. I just can't do this anymore. I'm done. You're, I'm not giving you any more of my time. And it turns out that there are a lot more people in this sport than I thought that are still associated with it that are very much still active within it that are out now. And it's, and again, it's not a big number. I mean, including your story, I think there are not many. Like if you think about it, just compared to other sports, like the number mm-hmm. of people who have played hockey that are out, men, I'm not talking about women, but men, is still insanely low compared to any other sport you can think of. And yeah, I would, I would I, that's, not to... a coinc- that's not a coincidence, but mm-hmm. I'd agree. Still, but, but still, like, it feels like even though the number is still low, I mean, when I started following this and talking to people, the number might have been literally one, mm-hmm. and now it's much higher i i can't give you the number off the top of my head like just how many i know but it's it's higher right. it's, it's not one anymore mm-hmm. and i i think it's important for for lgbtq people that are out i think it's important now i i couldn't for health reasons but i think it's important for them to stay within the game and to not ignore not turn the other cheek or anything like that, but I think it's important for them to stay part of the community because if we just take the LGBTQ community out of the sport, remove it almost entirely, and then from the outside in, bark about how we want to change the culture, then I think that hockey culture then has won, has defeated defeated us in a way. So I, I so much appreciate all these guys that are coming out and still part of the hockey culture. Um, Brock McGillis, who does a ton of work um, with talking Hi, for the LGBT. I wasn't planning on shouting you out here, but I, yeah. I, I, I mean, but that I think, was inevitable. But Yeah, I think it's important for people like him to stay involved because if we all, if we retreat away and, you know, just say, you know, it's a culture that doesn't accept me, I'm going to ignore it and, and leave the sport because I don't respect it, then that's an issue of, of then that culture has taken over and his is one in a way. Well, I mean, as I've always joked, like sports are the final boss for the LGBTQ community because they've been involved in just about everything now. Mm -hmm. And then hockey is the super boss. 
The secret yeah. super boss you can't beat unless you're at level 99 and you know just exactly how to play it. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It- I don't know if somebody, uh, I don't know if that super boss thing makes sense, but it does to me because I, fl- you know, when you play some of those super bosses, you go like, okay, this, even if I do this bang on right, it feels impossible. And that's just kind of what it feels like with hockey because it feels like just getting even the basics to be done is like pulling teeth with any, without any anesthetic. Yeah. You know? it, I, think seems... you, I think you've learned, I think you've learned that just, just by being involved, like just getting them to even admit, okay, this is a problem is become so extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. And it's taken a while. And, but I think I truly, and I'm not generally an optimist. So <laughs> not. You're not generally uh, an optimist. I wonder but, why that might be. But, Iowa stuff. Yeah. But I think, I want to believe in this that the the implementation of all of these these pride nights and stuff like that and just strictly the visibility of it regardless of the ideals behind it the visibility strictly Oh you mean selling t-shirts. Right. I I but I want to believe that this is heading in a direction a positive direction. I want to believe that. It's hard to believe that at this point. Believe me, but I want to believe that we're heading in some in somewhat of a positive direction. Well, I think I know why. It's because anything in hockey related to this is progress. And yeah. this is again the bars at the center of the earth. You don't have to do anything in order to clear it, and yet hockey still finds a way to come underneath it. It's a really good job at limbo, I guess, in this sport. And, and that, I think, is also why anything feels like progress. And we shouldn't be holding hockey to that standard. We should be holding it, hockey as a concept, but these leagues and these teams to a much higher standard than that. Mm-hmm. We should, and yet mm-hmm. it's hard to, because every time we even slightly raise the bar, they trip, clumsily fall underneath it. Right. And it's, it's unfortunate. And now, I guess, for you... What's this year been like having to see, you know, not just having to see, but just to being involved with some of these people who are out now and you feel just like there are more people out there and talking about this publicly far more than you've ever done before. Do you, do, does it feel different for you or it, does it feel like is it this is a long time overdue or does it feel like something a, a little bit different beyond that? Um, it, it definitely feels different. Um it it's both rewarding and not not stressful but my name is out there now and people contact me for for positive reasons and have contacted me for for negative reasons and also uh, people are projecting you're so telling you, me right right of course as you Knew they would, as anybody knew they would. and But I would have to say, for the most part, I have got to help so many kids and adults even tell their story and give advice. I like to concentrate on that part since I've come out more publicly in, in the last year. Um, it's just been, it's been really, really rewarding. Well, it also, I guess, feels like just an immense responsibility because it feels like you're taking, like, so many people under your wing, and Mm -hmm. that's a lot of people in this sport that feel like, you know, they need that 
that guidance. They need that care that they're not getting anywhere else. And mm. since there aren't many others out there, like it feels like the few that are out have the immense responsibility of doing this on behalf of the entire sport since the people in charge don't really want to do what needs to be done anyway. Yeah, I think that's a very fair comment. And I don't I don't I oddly don't view it as is stressful or or like I have to meet a quota for how many people I'm trying to help. I just I'm just here to be to be a listening ear. And quite frankly, the people that I've talked to, just from talking, just from actually them speaking it through their mouth, they're able to figure out the best way to come out. They're able to figure out how to handle their family, how to fam how to handle their friends, their teammates. They figure it out on their own. But all it all it takes is for for them to actually speak it to make it reality for themselves and to hold themselves accountable for, for who they are and who they want to be. All they need is that little nudge. Yeah. And truly I've, you know, I've given some advice, but it's really just letting them project and, and realizing and putting it out there that, that they can do it and they figure it out. Most of them figure it out on their own. So it's, it's one of those things where it's like they think they can't and then somebody who has been through it tells them that they can and that's all that they need. They mm -hmm. realize the gap wasn't as big between what they perceived and what they actually could do. You're exactly right. Well, the problem is it's just that you just don't know how many of them are out there. Mm -hmm. And I know you said earlier that you don't think getting somebody at a high level coming out would change it. I personally think it's actually kind of different because – for me, if I if there an NHL player came out tomorrow, leave alone the fact that I don't know how the sport would just structurally deal with it and how many issues would come along with that, mm -hmm. the perception of the sport would change dramatically in an instant. Correct. And I keep thinking to myself, like, if somebody came out tomorrow, society changes in a completely fundamental way. Mm -hmm. Not just hockey in general, but how people perceive the LGBTQ community in a wider level. This would be one of the biggest stories in sports in a long time. Right. It doesn't matter what sport it is, but particularly hockey. Maybe not crossover as much in this country. Certainly would up in Canada. So, I mean, like, I, I think that if we know they're out there, there's no way they aren't. I mean, that's just statistics and math. But I still think that, I mean, maybe... It has to change at the lower levels first, but I, oh, there's a bunch of other reasons why, and it needs to change the lower levels anyway. There's a bunch of reasons why a, a, a player in the clause in the NHL might not come out right now or might wait. Yeah. But, I mean, other than just what we've been talking about here, but I still think that, I mean, something like that would push the ball rolling a lot more, I would say, quickly. But, I mean, I still think it's something that, when it happens, it would be an immensely big deal and a lot of people would follow. Because I know that well, coming out is a butterfly effect and yeah. the influence it trickles down in a major way. I don't know how far we are away from that. I mean, people will tell you a long way. I don't think we're as far away as we think. But I still think, it's in, I still think that something like that is as big a deal as you could possibly get. That's just my, that's just and, my view of it. I mean, and, and listen, I, I agree. I agree that that somebody professionally, an NHL player, coming out would change things absolutely dramatically overnight. I just, I don't want, I don't want our community, our LGBTQ community, I don't want 
the message to be that that we want somebody to come out, that we are expecting somebody to come out. Because if that NHL player is sitting there and they're they're feeling they're already feeling pressure, they're already feeling that nervous tension of coming out. And I don't I just don't think it's fair for for the additional pressure to be added of the expectation of somebody to come out. I do think it would help us. But I, again, I don't think it's fair to outwardly say, this is what we need to happen. Somebody needs to do it. Somebody oh, needs think, to be, I, yeah, to I, be I the warrior. The, right. I agree with it needs to happen. It's right. one of those where, obviously, if it does, spectacularly good. Nobody's going to deny it. I, I don't, as I said, like, I can't expect anybody to do something. And every story is individual. But, I mean, like, in this sport, I mean, it would do more than it would do in almost any other sport. Just I, because of how I, far I back agree. the sport is compared to all the others. Like, we've had former NBA players come out and former Major League Baseball players come out and former NFL players come out. But if you're talking about any high-level hockey, I think the number of people who are professionally playing that I can think of that are out at any level is three. Like, that is an impossibly yeah. low number considering mm-hmm. how big this sport is. Yeah. It's, it's crazy, though. I could not agree more. <laughs> so, it, it, for you, I mean, there are some coming out stories in hockey I'd like to get to. It's the first time we've actually talked about this story on this show. And I know we, you talked about that out sports chat, which you could find on, a, I think, YouTube or Facebook, by the way, if you want to watch it. Gordy was on with a couple of other people, including Adam Fire and, and Brock Weston, who were two people that came on this show before. So, of course, we're now three out of four on that. Um, not like we have many. <laughs> I wish we had more people in hockey to talk to that came out, but it's, it's you guys, and, well, I'm not going to complain about it. Uh, at that time, we were just in the middle of, of watching a young kid named Yannick Duflessi, who is in New Brunswick, come out. And that story was really interesting to me because it came out of nowhere, and it got big out of nowhere. I did not expect that story to become as big as it did. And there were times when that story was making the rounds, and I was really nervous about it because I didn't like where it was heading. And I didn't like the fact that this is a 17-year-old kid who really isn't as high-level as people thought he was. He was drafted in the QMJHL, but he didn't play there. He was only playing high school, and he did it. I mean, it wasn't that I think he was not willing and willing to come out, but the story just caught fire in a way that I don't think anybody was prepared for. And I don't know what you were thinking from seeing that story happen, but I was nervous at times because... I didn't know where that was going to end. And mm-hmm. I worry every time when I see something like that happen, particularly not just with a kid, but somebody with a story that caught a lot more fire quickly than we thought it would. I, I didn't know where that was going to end. And I was nervous. I don't know about you. Uh, yeah, I, I had saw it pretty early on. I feel like, um, and my instant reaction was, was wow the kid's 17 years old he is willing to come out publicly as as a hockey player and he's still trying to figure out you know who he is as a human and trying to make connections lifelong friend connections at being 17 years old and trying to figure out his social dynamics still and I just thought my god for the courage of this kid to come out it's such a transitional point in somebody's life 
I was amazed and I was happy. And then you start to think about days later. Okay, now it's on news stations. Now it's being talked on NHL platforms and all these, all these different things. And to, to a light of kind of what you were hinting at was, was this a reaction that he is expecting? And is he going to be comfortable enough to continue to talk about this? Or is this going to become something that is going to make, to, make him want to, to, to turtle, to back away, to retreat? Because I think it could be overwhelming and scary to him because of the unexpected draw that, that his story kind of collected. Well, and I, I, the number I one did part get... of this was, was that people thought he was something that he wasn't. Like, mm-hmm. they thought he's playing in the queue and all these things that are going on, which was not true. So, like, there was more, like, people were saying, you know, draft prospect. And I'm going, what? Mm-hmm. Stop. Like, so the story was being, like, I don't want to say misreported, but, right. like, right. his story was being misappropriated. And I felt bad because I'm like, okay, stop putting stuff in the, um, this story that, that they can't cash. You know what I mean? And that mm-hmm. was my first worry. And then... You know, and then people started projecting, you know, doing what they do. Mm-hmm. And, like, the NHL's tweeting about him going, wait, what? Because this, this didn't happen, like, immediately. It was, like, a week later, and I, I was texting with Brock, and I was thinking to myself, what is going on? Where did this come from? Because, you know, I've seen people like you come out. I've seen, like, Brock Weston come out and all these other people in the sport, and none of them caught fire like this. And I, I, I didn't understand it. And, and that's what I was most worried about because I'm like, if you're older and you have a, enough of a sense of self-identity that you don't have at 17, but also not just that, like an awareness of what's around you and what's going to come, mm-hmm. then this is going to be easier for you to deal with. But fairly sure nobody saw this coming. No, and, and I, guarantee you, I guarantee you he didn't. So well, no, I mean, certainly not. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, like, I and as we're watching that, I'm like, I don't really want to think about where this ends, mm-hmm. because I didn't want to think about what was going to happen if this went off the rails. Not just for him, but in general. You right. know, like this was this is the first story of anybody coming out in hockey that I can think of that really caught fire the way that did. Yep. Like, cause all, cause I can yes. name almost all of them, and even the out professional player in England, Zach Sullivan, that didn't catch fire the way this did. And I know it's died down a little bit. The, the whole hysteria around that story has, has sub- subsided, and that's better. But, like, he's doing a you-can-play thing with George the Rock, and I'm going, wait, what? Wait, hold on. How did we get here? Right. Somebody explain to me A to B. And mm-hmm. I just – and so I, I, it was a confusion, and the nerves of – you know, going in your head, like, where could this end? Thankfully, it didn't end where we thought, like, right. or I feared it could end. And I think and I hope that that story is at least a positive example for somebody else like him that's out there that knows, okay, maybe this story is going to catch fire, but at least I know how to deal with it now. Yeah, and right. I know how to be prepared in case this story goes to places where we weren't expecting Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that was, I think it was a great example of, of, of potentially where a story can go. Um, 
But, well, but it also I, makes me think, like, what if somebody's actually in the position they thought he was in? You know, like, legit NHL draft prospect playing at that level or higher. You know, mm-hmm. that well, might actually legitimately catch fire as opposed to this, which then people looked in the story, okay, all that it appears was not what it seemed. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it gives me a little bit more hope when that happens. Because when that happens... I, as I've always said, and I know you're probably thinking this too, it's not about whether the kid or the player is ready to come out. It's for whether the people around him, in the team, in the leagues, whether they know what the heck they're doing. And in most cases, they don't. Right. So that was, that was always my biggest worry in this sport is because the structures around them legitimately have no idea how to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And that was my biggest worry with something with a story like this was – do they know what needs to be done? And the hope with seeing Yannick's story and seeing the arc of it was that, okay, maybe they now have an example of here's what to do and here's what not to do. They don't have to be told in uncertain terms by people like you and I. Like, okay, this is what you need to do. Because, like, the other thing that always worried me about a story like this is if you're coming out publicly, you get one shot at doing it. If it goes wrong, you don't get another chance. Right, right, and it's, it, it is, it is so critical to make sure that you get it right the first time, because mm-hmm. we don't, I, I, we don't need cautionary tales of what goes wrong in the sport if somebody comes out and it, you know, and it goes haywire. Correct. It, it is and coming out in general, in general. You, I, I think I could speak for for many others. Is is when you are thinking about making that decision to come out, you almost forget about how how you are going to feel you are so concerned about the exterior environment of how other people are going to react it's it's numbing to your own feelings and you're so concentrated on what other people are going to think and for him now we can realize and kind of unfortunately we have to we have to maybe think about how our story is going to be manipulated and potentially passed on in not necessarily the most truthful light. So it kind well, of added, it added also, another dynamic. I mean, to, to it's, me. it's also like that you're right about that because with you and all the other people I've seen, they controlled their own message when they came out. Mm-hmm. Like doing an out sports story is very much controlling your own message uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to what happened in this case, which he didn't write it. He didn't go with out sports. He went in another direction, which we're not going to get into for my own journalistic pet peeve reasons. I don't want to do that. Um, But I think for um, what we see going forward is if it does happen at a higher level, like there's got to be a lot more put into something like that. For you, it's like I can, you know, email Sid Ziegler and say, I'm going to do this. I can write this story, have it edited and be up. And that's the end of that. But for somebody at a higher level, there's a lot more that's going to go into it, you know, and there's a lot more planning that has to go into it. And there's a lot more people that need to be alerted. You know what I mean? Like, I've always thought about it in, my, in the own terms. Like, what's going to happen if it's, let's just say it's somebody. Let's you, you did the USHL, right? So let's just say if it was a USHL player. Well, team has to know, right? right. Then people in the league office have to know. They have to be prepared for every detail. And, like, you just have to know this is coming. And this is what you have to do. Like, just, you know what I mean? Like and then if, media relations and how you're going to bounce that back and forth. and Yeah, because yeah, it, because people like me are going to start calling. Mm-hmm. 
And like it's, it's a saying, like it, it feels like it's scripted, but like because the sport of hockey in so many ways is just not prepared for something like this, as we have seen, you have to be able to take these steps really, really tightly. And the other thing that I think that these the the that the leagues and these teams like they're used to controlling the message. And I'm saying, well, you can't really control any message here. This is up to them. They're going to do what they want to do. And if they want to do this, you just have to know what to do when it happens. You don't right. have any say in that matter, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I'm saying, like, hockey is a sport where nobody can really be an individual, right? Like, the best player in hockey, Connor McDavid, is one of the most boring human beings on planet Earth. <laughs> like, he is generic hockey player, even though he can do things that no other human being can do, right? Mm-hmm. And Correct. And coming out is the most individualistic, self-centered thing you could do, and I mean self-centered in a good way, Right. Mm-hmm. And that's another challenge that we face is getting this sport where it's all about the team and you can't really be an individual to focus on the individual. And that's another thing. That, that, that don't, you don't have to deal with that in other sports, right? And, and, that's, and that's another part of this, of this whole situation, you know, with people coming out in hockey and being prepared. And it's also just ensuring now that the people in those positions of power, as I said, they have to know what to do when it happens. And now at least they have some examples, but I don't think many of them have paid attention to those examples. No, as because much as they really need to. No, because no. they their default is is it's never going to happen. They 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 don't feel that you know it doesn't affect them currently, and they don't think it will, and they kind of just put it on the back burner, and to where it needs to be needs to be treated that it's a legitimate reality. Somebody in the NHL currently may be gay. It Somebody needs may to be, be gay. No, no, no. Someone is. There is mm-hmm. no statistical way that there isn't one. Uh, I mean, there so, are people in the league that are gay. We know that. But I'm talking about even just players. Like, there is. Right. I, we know it to be true. And I don't know what that day is going to be when it happens. But they could be. somebody could be working on that story right now. And we have no idea. Right. And, like, people got to be ready for when it happens. And that's what the people like, what, what really what I think the crux of what we're doing is here and why we're so vocal is I'm saying, we know what could happen if it goes wrong. We know the horror stories and you've gone through bad stuff. And I mean, even some of the people that came out, you know, they've gone through really terrible stuff, right? Just stuff that nobody should go through. And that's the, that's the major concern is like, we just don't want it to go wrong. We right, don't right. want the worst case scenario to happen. And in hockey, we have to legitimately fear the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. So let's go over a hypothetical situation. And before we start to wrap this up and I go into Iowa tangents, it's been 55 <laughs> minutes of this show. It's time, folks. Uh, so let's say you're talking to a kid, any level really, and you're talking to them about what, you, what they need to do. Well, how, do they, how do you talk to them about here's, here's what I suggest you do? Here's, you know, what are you, advice are you giving them? in order to get them to the point where they can feel like they don't have to live the lie anymore, or at least in some ways they could just tell somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, especially with, with the couple, let's say, let's say younger kids that I've had the pleasure of talking with is I first ask, I ask them, why are you talking? Why are you talking to me? What, what about, what about me 
Why did you pull me out of so many other people that you could talk to? Well, let's be honest, like five or six others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, correct. Um, So I, I, I start out with that because I want them to, I want them to know exactly what, what they want. And a lot of them answer that question very honestly. And they simply state, you know, I, I want to, I want to become who publicly, who I know I am. And I really hone in on my experience because that's all I know. Um, I tell them a couple little things about how I was truly feeling throughout all the processes of telling my close friends and my family, which I always, I always recommend because when you are trying to come out, yes, it's hard on yourself, of course. So why not make it a little bit easier and tell, tell a close knit group of friends that, that you've been friends with for so long that you know them well enough to where they're going to be accepting of it. Because if you go then and spread your web and tell other people that may not be as accepting, at least you have somebody to go back to and talk to about maybe those little negative interactions that you've had. You don't want, for me, and this is just me personally, my advice I tell them is there would be nothing worse than to come out and then have nothing but yourself to come back and talk to. So I always recommend starting with the little circle, people you full well know will accept you, and then kind of go from there. And in, in the hockey community, it's a little bit trickier because the people that they're probably going to be closest with are teammates. Um, so especially the young, younger kids that I've talked to, um, the hard, honest truth and the sad truth, because we've built such a shit culture in youth hockey, is that try and become associated with other friend groups outside of hockey. Not to take away your love for the sport, but start realizing that there are other people in this world, especially in youth, because we spend so much time with them, realize there are other people to be friends with other than just your hockey team. I think that's important. I can imagine a scenario in which somebody you know, is out to everybody. And then hockey is a world that just has no idea. You know, I can imagine yeah. a scenario. hundred percent, hundred percent. But that's I, because, I mean, like, that makes that's it, because I, we just have this, this shitty idealistic culture within hockey that just doesn't allow it. It's also like, what would you tell them? Like, if it goes wrong, like, what do you tell them to do? Cause I know they're thinking about it and they're probably going to ask you like, what, what would you say? Like if somebody comes out and then they're not like, you know, as they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the one of the hardest questions to answer. But for me, if you can sit there and confidently say that you love yourself and you are confident in being who you are, and it's clichéer than ever, but if it goes wrong, you can't you can't let other people' opinion and the way they see you you cannot let that determine how you're going to feel about yourself. You just can't. And I just I tell them, I tell them, please do not let other people sway you of this newfound love for who you truly are. Don't let them take that away from you. 
because you can't because then they've won and then you cannot move on and then tell other people. Just, uh, it yes, my favorite word is, has become projecting, uh, people projecting on, on uh, you, their own insecurities. And, you know, um, it's, it's, it's frustrating as that happens in hockey. Uh, have you, has that happened? Or, or have people come up to you and said, well, this didn't go the way I wanted it to, and, it, and I'm a little nervous about it? Or is it, or is that something that you only have to worry about in hypotheticals? Um, no, it's, it's happened. And one of the kids that came out to me as an official, um, he, he came out to me and then came out to a couple close friends and didn't come out to his parents until two and a half years later. Now, that was strictly due to the fear that things would go wrong. Well, he came out to his parents and things went wrong. And he then came back to me and said, you know, what did you do when you came out to your parents? Luckily, my mom was super supportive. My sister was super supportive. Um, I will tell you, my dad has grown tremendously since I've come out, although his initial reaction was not desirable. So I shared that experience with, with this other referee and I let him know if if my dad can have the response that he did when I came out and has grown to where he is today and loves my boyfriend Steve more than probably me, I said, your parents will will turn the page and they will be accepting of that. And that's truly what happened. I see pictures with him and his parents all the time uh, now. And it looks like everything is, is truly positive in that regard. So... Even through all of this darkness, we, we spent about an hour talking about how hockey culture sucks. Uh, you still, you still give people hope that it can be better, like that it's not going to go. Because a lot of these stories don't end up as badly as you fear they're like. There are, of course, some that don't end up well, mm-hmm. and that sucks. Right. But a lot of that is just not not necessarily through any fault of their own. It's just the luck of the draw, sadly. But most of these end up positively. They and, do. And, 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 they do. And the thing that you hear a lot is, man, I wish I could have done that sooner. Uh, so I'll... I'll, I'll, I'll I know I've little... said it. <laughs> I, have you? Because uh, I've said it too. Because I'm like, oh, why didn't I do this earlier? There was yep. no need to wait. Why did I wait? I yep. waited for professional reasons. I was just like, I, I got to focus on jobs first. And then I got sick and tired of waiting. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and then I was like, okay, I got I to gotta do this now. I got a choice. <laughs> but I mean, like, I, I was getting sick and tired of waiting for just my own reasons like okay i gotta do this now because i don't know what's gonna happen the job first is the job situation is a bit of a mess so let's mm-hmm. just do this first and get it get it done so i don't have to think about it anymore um it's just like you're living and, and people can see you know i think some of the reasons why i always like i tell people like coming out which is great because now you can do the little things right you know mm-hmm. the little things that add up over time that you couldn't do when you were in the closet you can do now right mm-hmm. like yes. for me it's being able to say, hey, the Panthers might have just signed one of the hottest human beings on planet Earth. <laughs> Great. Like, it's one of those things that's just, it's still, yep. I mean, as, as much as it is to, you know, to say it, and it, 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 people don't understand, like, that's a minor thing, but boy, does it feel good when you can say it, and it's not like looking over yeah. your shoulder, like, wait, who doesn't know about that? Yeah. yeah. And shit, you know now, I mean? I, now I throw jokes back and forth, you know, with my dad, and he, he'll say goofy things to me, and we kind of bounce it back and forth, and it... It becomes this, it becomes this kind of this tertiary element to your life, to where, where it actually becomes something that's quite enjoyable. Well, I, I, have to I say. for me, it's like, I mean, 
it isn't, it's not being gay, because I'm not gay, but it's like for somebody who is in the closet and is gay, I'm like, well, now you can go out and be gay. You mm-hmm. don't have to worry about what somebody's looking over your shoulder thinking. Yeah. You know? yeah. It's, it, it's almost like, it's almost like turning 21, you know, you don't have to hide not being 21 anymore. You can well, just, this is irrelevant be, to me because I don't drink or whatever. <laughs> you don't have to always look over your shoulder. Yeah. Where's so. that fake ID? Did it work today or not? Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. So now as this is a very good talk, we could go on forever about this, but I don't want to do that because uh, we have to talk about Iowa related things. I'm sorry. So if you have stayed to listen to this podcast this long, I hope you enjoyed the discussion, very in-depth discussion about hockey culture and coming out and being out in hockey. And now we're going to talk about punting because punting is really important in football, as Kirk Ferentz always says. Uh, anyway, I mean, you know this better than you know this better than me. Good old Kirk. You, you know that he's the he's the greatest though. Well, Although minus I, I the wish part he showed where his culture was kind of racist, but beyond that bit, yeah. That's that's true, but I I also wish he would show some sort of emotion on the sideline. It was like having Lovey Smith in Chicago, who was just the most boring football coach. And now you get to watch Iowa lose to them during the football season. Yeah, isn't that fun? No. Yeah. uh, Well, I don't know. I don't know. Maryland doesn't play Illinois, so they don't lose. (laughs) Coming full circle. Or are you a Maryland fan? I went to Maryland. Yes. Oh my. That's not. That's that's actually. It's a good school. It's a fantastic school. As long as you didn't go to Ohio State, I can't it's stand It's a dysfunctional it. viper pit, Maryland. <laughs> mm, I can tell you my great experiences first years uh, in the Big Ten, the, the conference switch happened when I was a junior and a senior. So one of the first the first year Iowa came to, to Maryland, and Maryland won that game. It was great. So Maryland could be good enough to you know make a bowl game as opposed to you know winning two games in September and then falling off the face of the earth which is usually what happens, Mm -hmm. Uh, very nice. And I did a game at Iowa in 2015 when uh, Iowa made it to the Big Ten title game and lost to Michigan State, which is very, very sad. They still ended up making it to the Rose Bowl and then lost by 50 to Stanford. Yeah, and then got smoked. Yeah, Yeah, they lost by 50 to Stanford. What year was that? That was 2015. 2015. 2015 My sister sister was a cheerleader on the sideline during that game. What, the Stanford game? I've always wondered, like, how do cheerleaders do their job? Particularly, I've always thought about it with Maryland cheerleaders, because how are you doing it when they're losing 50 to nothing? So, yeah, so my sister, she, okay, she was a nursing student here. She was a cheerleader here freshman, sophomore year. And she was a huge Hawkeye fan when she was here. And she said it was one of the most depressing (laughs) situations since uh she was a hawkeye she just uh, it was so hard to get up and, and cheer when you're down by 50 to nothing <laughs> yeah. i just the complete i i have to say for all the jokes that i make about iowa and will continue to make for the rest of time because it's just i can't not you know it's when i saw your story i remember tweeting hashtag go iowa awesome because i had to i mean that's just mm-hmm. the law of the land as it goes one of the only things that I've liked about, you know, I liked a lot of things about the Big Ten move, but one of my favorite things is the Iowa jokes because it's like everybody's hit on the Iowa jokes. Uh, I, when I went, I mean, it's everybody out there. I mean, when you talk about Midwestern stuff, you know, like it was legit when I went out to Iowa City and, and I did that game. Like, it's so everybody was so nice. Like, you came out here from Maryland, really? <laughs> and like nobody, like people, it was, people were still getting used to it. And that Maryland team was a disaster. So it's like I'm coming out here watching again Maryland against a top ten Iowa team. Like, I mean, why? Why are you doing this to yourself? Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed I enjoyed calling the game. It was fun, but you know, like everybody was so nice. 
And then I get to think about Iowa basketball players trying to gouge Mellow Trimble's eyes out. And then I don't think so fondly about Iowa anymore. Hey, we the basketball outlook's looking pretty good for us this year. Re- well, here, I'm going to say this. Lord willing, we have an NCAA tournament. I don't oh, care I where Iowa is seated. So. I don't care where Iowa is seated. I ain't predicting them to do anything. I've been burned by those MFers too often. Oh, so have I. Fran McCaffrey's going to lose his mind as he always does. He's going to have a he's going to have a, a conniption on the sidelines, and there you go. And then and then they're going to lose to a team they shouldn't lose to, and that's going to be what happens. I'm I not think, doing it. I think this year. I think this year is going to be different. But it's not. It's not. Uh, I'm not, we'll I'm not doing it. <laughs> not doing it. I'll tell you though, there aren't many teams in the Big Ten that I've enjoyed watching Maryland beat more than Iowa. Because watching Fran McCaffrey lose his mind on the sidelines as Iowa's getting pasted is hilarious. Really, really quite enjoyable. That's nothing offense to you. That's just that's just what's happened. Because I mean, I can think about all the times when Maryland's beaten Iowa. It's just oh my god, it's just great fun. And yeah. then I've also I can also remember a Maryland Iowa women's game couple years ago i have one it was one of the worst officiated basketball games i've ever seen i'm very protective of the maryland women's team because you know they're awesome every single year and i know the the men's team has expectations but the women could legitimately win the national title every year and i've seen some games when they lose and the and the uh the the officiating is just it it gives me a headache i've seen that with with iowa games too well again like the first maryland iowa game ever adam bear is trying to gouge mellow trimble's eyes out and suddenly here come the knives and I can't remember who I, I think. Oh, it was Jared Utoff. That's right. I did another Maryland-Iowa game uh, my senior year when both of them were in the top ten. I called that game. And uh, the You Are Ugly chants were just hilarious. <laughs> Every Iowa big man that has ever played a game at Xfinity Center has gotten a You Are Ugly chant at some point. It is spectacular, I have to say, personally. <laughs> That's awesome. It. It is. It's like, why do I have these connections with Iowa of all the schools? Like, I should hate Penn State, but Maryland can't beat Penn State in anything. And even when they play them in basketball, they lose to them. So it's very annoying, and I can't stand it. Um, so that that's one of the things. Like, as much as I want to, like, hate on Penn State, I can't do that because Maryland never beats them at anything. I'm kind of the same way. Worst school in America, Penn State. That is a scientific fact. It is inarguable. Oh, no comment. It's, well, it's true, though. I'm sorry. It's the science. You can't argue with it. Oh, I hear you. I mean, I was going to be picking colleges when, when the Jerry Sandusky stuff happened. And I wasn't going to Penn State anyway, largely because the kids that I knew in high school that went to Penn State were the exact kind of people I despised. So I'm like, I associate Penn State with this now. And, oh, mm-hmm. their fans. Their fans are yeah. so annoying. Who are the most annoying fans in the Big Ten? Well, it seems like you just said Penn State. Well, this is the correct answer, but for you, because some people might not agree with me. Oh. When you um, go to an Mi- Iowa football I'm say, game. I'm going to say Michigan. Michigan? Okay, I can see that. I can see that. I have a soft spot for Michigan because I had friends that went to Michigan. So I, I have a soft spot for them. As mm-hmm. much as Maryland getting pasted by them every year is really annoying and will always be really annoying, I have a soft spot for them. Yeah, I, I, I like Michigan State, but... Michigan, I, Sparty, uh, good, good things happen with Sparty. Well, particularly when they screw up in completely unique ways and we all go Sparty no on Twitter, and that's that's fun too. Yeah. You know, that's that's great. Um, the other winner for most annoying fans in the world, Indiana basketball fans. Very annoying. Not a I fan have, of theirs. I have never been to 
one of those games. But oh, I can. Oh, I've I've heard some. I mean, when Maryland beat Indiana this year at Assembly Hall, I mean, there was some really bad stuff happening. Really, 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 really not good. And I mean, those those are the those are the fan. I always compare the Penn State football and Indiana basketball fans are very similar. Their teams were good in the '80s. And now they assume that they have to be good now. It's just a birthright of being good. It's kind of like Notre Dame. Very much like Notre Dame, yes. And I despise – well, I don't really – like, there's nothing for me to dislike about Notre Dame because Maryland doesn't play them, and I don't really care. But, like, it's funny. It's like when I think about all the schools in the Big Ten, I think about, oh, this school is likable. This school is fun. There's nothing wrong with them. I think about Iowa. We make all the jokes about Iowa. But it's, it's out of love, right? Mm-hmm. It's out of it's out of the enjoyable. At least I, at least I want to believe it is. <laughs> I don't know who hates. Maybe Nebraska fans do. They do. That's usually a pretty. If you want to come to an Iowa football game, Nebraska, especially when tailgating is allowed back, that's a that's always a great. Uh, I a great I, I, interaction. I understand, I understand that that that's actually a legitimate thing, which I didn't like. You know, I. I can't make a. I can't. I can't front about that because I have no idea. But I mean, like for for me, it's just like I think about because because Maryland comes from the ACC and we have our ACC perceptions that are still baked into the pie, and I mean for me, it's just like I I, I can't as much as I despise you know certain things, I I can't like most of the schools are just like it doesn't feel like Maryland should be playing them, you know like if yeah. I'm watching a Maryland Iowa football game I'm like eh, this, this no no this yeah. this still it doesn't feel right. You know what I mean? Like, like it's it's still it's gonna take some getting used to, you mm-hmm. know. And I, it, it's it's been six years. It's been six years since Maryland's moved to the Big Ten. It does feel like it's been six years? But oh, that's crazy. Years. Yeah, it's been six years, and Maryland's done a lot of losing, particularly in football. I mean, we're recording this one week before Big Ten football starts, which is still oh, I'm odd so to ex- say. so excited though. I I I mean I would be if it wasn't for the fact that I just feel icky thinking about college football right now. I mean, it's hard not to, but I still do. Yeah. And also, it's because Maryland might win two games if they're lucky, and I'm just like, man, if Maryland didn't play this year, everybody could have – the recruiting would have been great, and there's no losses to worry about. There's no mm-hmm. losing by 60 to Ohio State on the schedule, and this year there is. Yeah, should so be Maryland an interesting does, season. Maryland does not play Iowa unless Iowa somehow finishes sixth in the Big Ten West because of crossover opponents and stuff. Anyway – I think that's enough of the uh, the Iowa stuff because I don't know how many many people are still listening to the show after you get into <laughs> deep into punting stuff about Iowa football. I mean, I don't. Again, that is that too in the weeds. No. I love when people I love when people razz me about Iowa. It's funny. Well, it, I have to. It's it's just again I will razz people about. It's any becoming team tradition. They like. Well, any team they like, but particularly colleges. Especially mm-hmm. if you went to a Big Ten school, because I can always find something, yep. right? Like if it's my Michigan friends, I'm like, your your school sucks at lacrosse. Try again. <laughs> or if or if it's or if it's it's like it's if it's uh, Penn State, I'm like, well, your school's morally reprehensible. I don't care. It doesn't matter what the hell you do. Your school's morally reprehensible garbage. Yeah. Doesn't matter. You know, if it's and if it's Iowa, I can joke about punting. You know, if it's if it's Northwestern, I'm like, hey, we're kindred spirits here. You know. J schools and our sports teams are, well, at least we have basketball. They don't, um, you know, so it's like, it's one of those things. You know what I mean? It's like, oh. I, I think that, I mean, that it's always like, that's the loosening up of the conversation, right? 
Makes it I easier to get in everything else once you've made a Kirk Ferentz likes punting jokes. Yep. <laughs> I mean, once it's like, up, oh, Kirk Ferentz punted from the 36. All right, here we go. Well, he's got a talented punter. Well, I mean, yeah, because that's the most talented player on his team usually is the damn punter. I mean, nobody likes punting like he does. It's insane. No. No. I mean, I, I have become friends with folks in Australia Aussie rules football. I'm like, how have we not had a like ridiculously good Aussie punter at Iowa yet? How has that not happened? That needs to happen. Yeah, that would I be. I mean, that would reset the world on its axis. <laughs> the world would not be able to deal with Iowa punters booming 60 yard punts. Just would not be able to deal with it. Nope. My Twitter timeline on Saturday would lose its absolute mind. And, I mean, I don't get on Twitter much, like, looking at my timeline, unless it's literally on major sports days, like the NFL or college football, because we're doing it for the chaos. And, I mean, 60-yard Iowa punts in a big game. Oh, my Twitter timeline would love some of that. (laughs) Anyway, uh, where can people follow you and and see you? Me? Yes, you. You can follow follow me. They probably already don't follow me. Yeah, I don't. I I have Twitter. Um but I don't go on it too often. Um, Probably if, for the best. If you, want, if you want to contact me or follow me uh, on Instagram, you can follow me. It's Gordball9 on Instagram. There's a long story behind that name, but... I mean, we all just went in 15 minutes about punting, so I don't know if we could do that now. Yeah, but... Maybe uh, you could DM him on Instagram. He'll tell you the story. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Gordy, for being a a good advocate for folks in hockey and also being a good sport about, you know, punting. Hey, hey, you're so welcome, Matt. I appreciate you having me on here. Thanks very much. We will talk again soon. All right. Thanks.